I am fairly staggered that there are so many of you here this morning. Um, I did wonder whether it might be Carol and I and the band and a couple of others. Um, just kind of well done for not being blown away or ending up down in Hastings or up in Scotland um, or kind of wherever, whichever way the wind was going. Um, just kind of, you know, I think you need a, an extra badge. You were here on this Sunday. <laughs> That wasn't an oblique reference, that wasn't intentionally an oblique reference to the rugby, I promise. I could see Ed sniggering there. Okay. Um, I'm just really aware that I think I might have two talks rather than one this morning. Um, which is a bit kind of dangerous. So um, I may actually stop halfway through and just do half this. I don't know. I, I just... Um, yeah, I'm just in a bit of a quandary, really. Um, if we do, it's going to be really confusing because the reading relates to the second half, not the first half. I've just done it that way so I can completely confuse you. Um, so um, last year we had this series, um, kind of next slide, thanks, Brian, on emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, and I know a lot of people found it helpful. I know that I did. Um, it kind of stirred me up in a lot of different ways. It made me look at things in ways that I had not seen them before. It's almost like it kind of gave me a new lens to look at life um, and to look at ministry. And I know we keep referring back to it, but it's because it felt like it was so significant. Um, and this um, kind of, this part of the term, we want to spend some time looking at one particular thing that came out of that. Um, it talked about kind of having a rule of life. And it was something that really challenged me. Um, I loved the idea of kind of having something in my life that would give structure to my life, that would be life-giving um, and life-affirming. And that's what's at the heart of this idea of a rule of life. Um, and if you remember, I've got the same slides from when I kind of talked about it then, but it just feels important to touch base all over again. If you remember, that idea of a rule comes from the idea of a trellis. Um, my trellis in my garden, isn't that exciting? Very proud of that trellis. Uh, even more proud of the next picture that's coming in a moment. The idea of a trellis is that actually it supports life um, and things can flourish because of it. And that's the whole idea of a spiritual rule of life. It's meant to support life and it's meant to enable us um, to flourish. So this is my trellis as it looked in September. Oops, wrong slide. <laughs> Help have read my notes, isn't it? Okay. Too often, kind of spiritual disciplines um, smack um, of religion and duty um, and the thing I love about this whole idea of a rule of life is it turns that on its head and it makes it all about life. Um, kind of a rule of life originates from monastic spirituality, most famously, we will have the next slide now, thank you. Actually, Brian, why don't you come and do the talk? Because you've obviously got more of a tag on where I'm going now than I have. Um, kind of particularly from Benedictine in the 6th century, um, Benedictine's rule um, contained 72 chapters. So that could potentially keep us going over a year. Don't 
panic. I'm not going to go through 72 chapters. Um, not this morning or not in this series at all, I do promise. Um, kind of at the heart of his rule were key concepts that included the importance of prayer, of work, ora et labra, um, humility, obedience, stability, silence, respect for persons, for places, for things, service to one another, um, and, and kind of what it means to live as part of a wider community and a locality. Kind of, it, so it, kind of, it, was, it was literally, it, was, it embraced every aspect of life. Um, and fundamentally, the idea is that a rule of life ought to be life-giving. We will have that next slide. This is my trellis as it was in the autumn. If you were to go to my garden now, actually, it wouldn't look dissimilar. That kind of plant, which for those of you that are gardeners and you might be excited about these things, is a cup and saucer plant. Um, and um, it's called Corbia scandens. It's still growing there. It's still flourishing, partly because of the mild winter, but partly also because it's firmly attached to that trellis. Come to the next slide. Um, and, it, and actually, amazingly, it's still been flowering in December and January. And, it's kind of, and it kind of just sums up, you know, the, the, the nature of something that's life-sustaining and life-giving um, and, and kind of has that sense of abundant fruitfulness. And that's what God wants for our lives. Um, and so kind of one of the things that's been on my heart is the need to discover my own personal rule of life. It's led me wondering what, you know, Benedictine wrote his rule of life for the 6th century. What would a rule of life look like for us today, now, living at this time and in this place? Um, and, um, and I suspect, actually, potentially, it might be different in, for all of us. There'd be things in common, but I suspect that there would be things that would be different uh, and I don't know about you, what kind of, um, you know, what is life-giving in your experience? Um, conversely, what are the things that are life-diminishing? What sucks the energy out of you? Um, kind of what sort of pattern of living would affirm that which is life-giving uh, uh, and kind of help you handle the stuff that is life-diminishing? Um, what makes for a good rule of life? And as I said, I suspect it's different for all of us, but I also suspect it has some common threads. So Casario, kind of, I know I, I sound like his greatest fan, I'm going to disagree with him in a moment, but he suggests four key areas, and he kind of groups a number of different things under all of them. Prayer, kind of, that makes sense, doesn't it? And he kind of includes in that kind of study and reading the scriptures and things like that, and the normal stuff that we, we associate with kind of spiritual disciplines, uh, rest, kind of work, uh, relationships, kind of even what he suggests, it may not be 72 chapters, but it does embrace um, all of life. Um, family, community, our emotional health are all part of it. I could go on. And as I said, I suspect it will be different for all of us. Just one example is, and I know this, I kind of bring this sort of example in all the time. When I started to think about this, I realized that one of the things that makes me healthy is my fascination with taking photographs. 
Another thing that makes me healthy is, is my garden and being in time with the seasons in the world in which we live in. And kind of those are things that are, that kind of are, what I, are part of what I need in my life for me to stay healthy and well. Um, I just wonder what you need in your lives to kind of preserve, not just preserve, but to allow you to flourish emotionally and in every aspect of your lives. I think the danger is that um, the, the, the whole thing about talking about spiritual discipline is that it can have negative undertones. Uh, it can smack of duty. Um, at best, a good idea, but unpractical in a busy world. Um, it, it can kind of feel like something that we ought to do rather than we want to do. Um, and something that actually will steal our energy rather than give us energy. And this whole thing is about working out how we can have a life that is kind of supported by something that is life-affirming. A trellis that supports life kind of in our particular circumstances. Uh, yeah, we're all familiar with that phrase, um, a dog isn't just for Christmas. Yeah, anyone know that phrase? Yeah, a few of us might know that, yeah. Um, I think sometimes we think that spiritual disciplines are just for Lent. Um, kind of our society loves kind of doing stuff for a season. Um, and some, you may have done some of these. Anyone do dry January this year? You might not want to admit to that one. Anyone do, I can't even pronounce it properly, vegan January? Veganuary? Veganuary, thank you. Thanks, Ed. Step in, take over, there's the notes, do feel free. Um, it, it kind of, Lent can end up being a spiritual equivalent to all that sort of thing. We do something for a season and then we revert back to normal life. This whole idea of a rule of life is about finding something that is an easy fit for us, that sustains our life, not just for a month or for a season, but kind of for, for life throughout the year, in, kind of in every aspect um, of what we do. Um, and so kind of over the next few weeks, we want to think about some of those things. Um, and this is the halfway point. You can sigh with relief or go, oh, no. Um, and I want to finish this for just for a moment for each of us to kind of centre um, before I dip into the next thing. And I want to finish with this question that's on the screen. What is it that gives you life? In, in your life pattern, in the things you do, kind of what are the things that, that, that are life enhancing to you? You, you might be thinking, of, you might want to think about the other side of it too. What takes energy away from you? What, what kind of diminishes you? But let's stick with the positive and let's just take a moment to think what is life enhancing? And um, I really want to encourage you to, to hold on to that 
Uh, and as you, kind of, as you kind of focus on what is life enhancing for you, to think about how you can set that at the heart of your daily, your weekly, kind of out at the heart of your routines, and how you live your life, how that can genuinely sustain you or not just be something that you get to enjoy occasionally. Okay, I want to begin kind of thinking about those four areas with the area of work this week. I know that I am the least qualified in the building to speak about work. Uh, you know, I only work one day a week. You can't call being a vicar a proper job. Um, and, I, and actually, more seriously, I guess, I, you know, I'm probably one of the few, I'm not alone, but I suspect I'm one of the few people in the room that would actually be able to say that my job is a vocation. It's something that you feel called to and you focus on rather than something that you have to do. Um, and I'm aware at this point, some of you will be switching off and thinking, ah, oh, but I'm retired or no, my circumstances mean I can't work. Um, I'll pick up on this later. I'm not talking about employment. I'm talking about work actually in its wider context. Um, so kind of, I think this has relevance to all of us um, because it's something we're all called to. Having said I love Scazzario's book, this is where I fall out with him. I was really disappointed. I just thought, well, that's great. I've just got to read the, the relevant bit in the chapter now, and that will kind of give me my talk for Sunday. And kind of when I read it, at this point, my heart sank. Because when kind of he talked about work being part of that rule of life, um, he talked almost completely in terms of Christian ministry serving in church or being involved in mission in some sort of way and actually had nothing to say or little to say about what most of us do in our lives kind of for the bulk of our weeks. Um, and, and that's not to say that serving in church or mission isn't important. We were talking about values over the last few weeks. Two weeks ago, Carol was talking about serving being one of the key values of us, us as a church. But, you know, there's one kind of mistake the church makes again and again and again is this kind of assumption that kind of what everyone is preoccupied with, the only thing that really matters is the stuff they do in church and not the stuff that they do in the bulk of their lives. Um, and, um, and it feels to me like Scazzario misses a trick there. So when I'm talking about work, it's about the stuff we do through the bulk um, of our week. Um, because more than anything else we do in our lives, work dominates it. Um, and if we're going to live a life that's healthy, kind of our work life needs to be healthy. Kind of otherwise, everything else will sit um, under the shadow of it. Um, so a working life. Most of us work for 50 plus years of our lives at 39 hours a week. Uh, that's 1,840 year, hours in a year, 92,000 in a lifetime. Um, a third of our waking hours between 19 and 68 are spent in the workplace. Um, as I said, if you're, un, if you're not imp employed, don't switch off. I'm talking about work as we go on. Um, or if you're retired and you think, oh, I'm glad that's all behind me. Just stay with me a little longer. You just need to think about those numbers just to realize how important it is and how much uh, it dominates um, our lives. 
if we want to find a rule of life um, that is life-giving, we must include our working lives in it. Um, yeah, that needs to be life-giving too. Uh, and work is part of God's plan for our lives. Um, we're made in the image of God. I'm, I'm not very good. I didn't do Latin at school. Come the next slide up. Um, it, it's imago deo. It means the image of God. It's this whole idea that each one of us is created um, in God's image. And that was at the heart of that reading that Jane read for us. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're made in the image of a creator God, a God who works. Um, and, um, and so kind of, kind of work um, shouldn't be something that we, we seek to avoid. It ought to be something that we embrace. Because kind of working means it is, is a reflection of how we were made to be, what we were, what we were made to do. I find it kind of, you know, I, I've been, I, I find some, you know, some people quite fascinating. Um, and I guess when you get to my stage in life, you start thinking about words like retirement and stuff like that. Um, and, and the more, the closer I get to it, the more abhorrent the idea kind of feels to me, if that makes sense. Um, I love people like, um, like David Attenborough, who doesn't seem to show any signs of wanting to retire. Or another fa personal favourite of mine, who I was listening to a podcast of the other week, um, a guy called Joe Merwitz. At 90, he's still taking photographs. And you think, when do you retire, you know? When, you know, when do you stop? And that's because, actually, we should never stop from reflecting the image of God um, that's in us. Um, in creation, it talks about God resting at the end. By the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing. Um, and on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Kind of work is what God does. And if we're made in his image, it's what we're made to do. Uh, and work doesn't stop with employment. If we are not employed, it doesn't mean to say we don't work. We should be seeking kind of in God what we should be doing and how we should be giving our lives to him and to the world around us. We're told to fill the earth and to subdue it, kind of following on from Dedo's prayers. Subdue it, not abuse it. Um, our work is meant to be a continuation of God's work. Uh, if we return to that monastic rule, work was part of monastic life. Ora et labora. It means pray and work. They didn't see a kind of a separation between the spiritual um, and kind of the natural. Kind of, there wasn't all oh, the spiritual stuff. That's the stuff that really matters. Um, and the work, well, kind of, that's what you do so you can do the spiritual stuff. Actually, the two were all bound up as one. Um, and that kind of, you know, there's a danger that we kind of think, and, and church betrays this more than anything else, that what we do here matters and everything else doesn't. Actually, all of our life matters. Uh, and kind of the work is the place that God has, has put us to reflect his image in the world around us. Okay. Um, why does it feel so hard then? 
Am I alone in that? I mean, I, we, we were really lucky. We just had kind of um, three days away. Kind of, we kind of had some time off in Luke because I lost a couple of days off. So we, spot, spot, we went down and spent a couple of nights with Karis. And um, one of the things I noticed, if I'd been away for part of the week, I actually, I find it really hard going back on a Sunday. You just sort of feel like, oh, can I do? There's a little bit of inside me that feels, can I do that? Um, I don't know how you feel kind of when you get up on a Monday morning or when you're winding things down on a Sunday night and trying to get organized. Um, Carol kind of spends most of Sunday evening going through her emails and her diary so she can be ready for work on a Monday morning. Kind of, it doesn't even begin there. Yeah, I, yeah, when you go back to it, I wonder how you feel. There's something in us that frequently makes it something we were created to do and yet we recoil from it. Um, the writer of the Ecclesiastes asked the question, what does a worker gain from his toil? Um, he goes on to say, um, there's nothing better for man to eat and drink. Um, it's kind of, I guess it is about the need to earn a living. Um, that's kind of, that's part of it. But actually, it does feel like toil, doesn't it? Um, we use phrases about work that, are, that at times are negative. We talk about the rat waste or the daily grind. Uh, and um, if you're sitting here thinking, I can't wait to get to work on Monday, please forgive me if I'm a, pouring a bucket of cold water over you. But even when we feel called to or enjoy the things that we do, sometimes it just feels hard work, doesn't it? Um, I found a bit of a modern day writer to the Ecclesiastes. This is mostly business speak, so do forgive me. Um, it was asking the question, why are people so uncomfortable frequently in their workplaces? And it listed a number of different things. Um, I guess the first one you could say, um, kind of they feel like a round, he pe round peg in a square hole. Um, it feels like um, what's asked of them, they don't have the resources to fulfill and they feel continually outside of their comfort zone and that kind of is debilitating. Um, sometimes people refer to kind of the toxicity of the place where they are working and the increasingly crushing demands that kind of are put on them and push them down. Um, and I know a lot of people that will talk about that particularly ones that I happen to be related to that work in the health service, I have to say, but um, we won't go there. Um, that the, the, the the, the what people are working for um, can feel meaningless or wrong. Um, that's almost like quoting the writers of the Ecclesiastes. Um, um, that people long to use different talents and use their creativity and, and, and ingenuity, which actually is a God-given thing, isn't it, that longing? But actually they don't know how to do it in the workplace when actually the overriding need is the pressure to make money. Um, yeah, and um, there are just a few things about why work can be difficult and you see people longing to start their own business or to do something different and to try and find a way of of of, of turning those things upside down um, and yet the pressure is there to conform and to earn money and to do what we need to do to keep a roof over our head and food on our tables and clothes on our backs which is often what drives us um, kind of that's the business speak answer 
I think there's a, there's a, a theological explanation too that actually work is broken just like the rest of creation um, is broken. Good slide, thanks. You know, when we think about the effect of the fall, actually part of it is it changes something that is God-given. It does that in every aspect. You know, things that are given for good get warped and destroyed. Work, which is something that God does, that's part of his nature, that it should be reflected in us um, as people that bear the stamp and the mark of God on our lives, that becomes warped too. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Work becomes toil. And the joy of it is stripped away from us. Um, and most of us live with that kind of frustration when it comes to work. And I think, sadly, church may not always help with that. Um, I think one of the reasons it can, it can be unhelpful um, is that it can kind of treat it, treat, you know, kind of treat work as being kind of secondary and unimportant. It's that kind of place where I started, really. Um, that what really matters is the stuff that we do in church. And I kind of get that feel with Casario's book. You know, you know get it, it's getting stuck into mission and into serving in church that really matters. Uh, actually, no. Actually, you know, what has God called us to do kind of in our workplace, in the, in the, in the hours that we don't spend here, whether we are retired, whether we are um, struggling to get work or whether we are in work, kind of what does God have for us there? Um, church doesn't help as well because at times it over-eggs expectations. Um, in talking about millennials, um, those between 90 the mid-90s and the mid-2000s, Rachel Gardner, who set up Rom Romance Academy, uh, she cites the biggest reason for millennials, young people, losing their faith is the false promises they've been made by church. Kind of the misquoting kind of verses that have kind of said, you know, God's got a purpose for your life, da di da di da And don't get me wrong, I believe utterly that God has a purpose for all of our lives. But Rachel Gardner says that it's been set up in so many young people's lives in such a way that they, that they are, even when they are successful and they kind of do college and university and then they come out of it and actually if there is a job, actually there's little or no sense of purpose in it. But for many, there is no job. They've done all these qualifications and actually they don't know what to do with it at the end of it. And suddenly this whole question of purpose comes crashing in on them. And it feels like they've been sold a lie by the church. And sometimes kind of church over eggs this thing about God's got a purpose for all of our lives. And don't get me wrong, I do, I do genuinely believe that he has but actually, when it doesn't feel like our work has anything to do with that, when it feels like actually our work is more like a prison, something that we have to do, because if we don't do it, there won't be a roof over our head or food on the table. Um, then we start asking the question, well, was, where was God in that? And, uh, you know, and, uh, and has God broken his promises about this wonderful purpose that I'm meant to be experiencing? So I think sometimes church has not helped when it comes to our attitude to work. Genesis reflects this. You know, work isn't easy. It's not easy to find work if our health permits. 
it's not an easy place to be at times when we have found it. Um, finding work doesn't always equal finding fulfillment. Frequently, we do what we have to do just to kind of keep the show on the road. Uh, even if we get to choose our work, it won't always satisfy. Um, if, we, um, if we have the privilege of vocation, um, we may find that actually that means that we are remunerated less um, for the pleasure of doing what we feel called to do um, than, um, than we might if we were choosing to do something else that was perhaps more financially viable. Um, so how do we respond to this? I think we need to see the whole of our lives in terms of God's bigger picture. I think it's why this whole idea of a rule of life matters so much. That actually we need to find ways of kind of getting balance in every aspect of our lives. And in every life there will be bits of our life that sustain more than others. And sometimes one part will sustain bits that are harder. Um, we need to see our life in the light of God's bigger picture. And we need to see our work um, in the light of God's bi bigger picture. We need to sanctify our work. Uh, and by that, um, and sanctify means to treat it as something that is holy. Kind of, you know, that actually what we do is a gift from him. Um, and, we, and, we, uh, and we come with an expectancy to see him in it. Um, and, and we see that as, as important as every other aspect of our lives. Um, we need to sanctify our employment. I think we need to pray. I love the illustration Carol used when she was talking about um, serving. Uh, if you weren't here, you will laugh at this. If you were here, you will get it. And you will think I'm being juvenile. Victoria's Secret. I thought when she was going to talk about Victoria's Secret, she was going to talk about a lingerie line. But never mind. It was about a hairdresser, if you missed it. Um, <laughs> I was clearly disappointed that it wasn't the lingerie line, but never mind. And that is on the tape, isn't it, really? But you would be so sad if I didn't do things like that, wouldn't you? Kind of the point was this young lady actually finding purpose in her work as a hairdresser. And with every client, as she cut and massaged hair and washed hair, praying for that person. Kind of how can we pray for those around us in our workplace, either those that are our colleagues or the people we do business with or the people we serve. How can we translate that principle into what we do in our work? Um, and Carol mentioned it earlier, that kind of whole series of Bible reading material. Um, it's called Everyday Faith. What's particularly exciting about it is kind of all of those Bible studies, not just the one that Carol quoted, are focused on our work lives. Um, you know, uh, uh, on kind of what it means to live with God kind of day by day in whatever we are doing. Um, okay, we need to pray. I think we also need balance um, in our lives. Um, work doesn't equal employment. 
Um, if employment is hard, then we need to look for other ways where we will find for me, for, for me, fulfillment in our lives. That might be service in church. It might be some sort of art or creativity or hobby or interest we have. Uh, we need to find ways of balancing what is hard um, with kind of with what is life affirming. There will be things that will be life diminishing. We will never remove all of those from our lives. But how do we get to focus on the things that are life um, affirming? If work really frustrates, what other opportunities do we have to serve or to be creative um, and to allow the the work side to be what provides for doing those sorts of things? Uh, And the other area where there needs to be balance Uh, is kind of in this whole balance of work and rest. And we'll be talking about rest in a couple of weeks. But actually, sometimes we are so consumed with work uh, and the the pressure of industry and life at the moment on so many people makes it very hard to resist that pressure. But actually, is there a balance in our lives between the work uh, and, and the opportunity to rest and be restored and to be affirmed. Uh, we need somehow to reclaim the workplace for God. We need to sanctify the workplace and make it holy um, and not see it as something that we go that has no relationship to the rest of our lives. Uh, let's pray.